typically uh, in TradFi, uh, all of this data is is done in a black box and aggregated. What if we could bring it on chain and have people plug into these feeds um, and, and get their data from an on chain source? We're not there yet at the moment, but there's a clear usage for DeFi applications currently. Hey, listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your support helps us reach more listeners and bring you more exciting content in the future. Hello, and welcome to The Crypto Brief, a podcast from Fidelity Center for Applied Technology. Every week, we get together to discuss current events and trends in blockchain technology, tokenization, DeFi, NFTs, mining, and related aspects of the crypto ecosystem. I'm your co-host, Ryan Stubbe, Director of Bitcoin Mining, and I'm joined by Jason Ward, Head of the Blockchain Incubator, Parth Gargava, Product Architect with Fidelity Labs, and Jack Newrider, Research Associate with Avon Ventures. Before we begin, just a friendly reminder that this discussion is for educational purposes only and should not be viewed as investment advice or a recommendation for any security or asset. The views expressed are those of the co-hosts and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. As we all know, crypto as an asset class is highly volatile, can become illiquid at any time, and is only for those investors with a high risk tolerance. Let's dive into what's been happening recently. Hey, guys. Hey, good morning. Hey, Jason, welcome back. It's been, it's been a while. Thank you. I'm still operating in the wrong time zone, but uh, <laughs> but it's good productive. It's the, struggle, it's the struggles of being a world traveler, I suppose. Well, the good news is I'm, I'm at the gym before sunrise and out before sunrise. So yeah, there you go. Take that. The silver lining, right? We'll circle back after the holiday season. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, let's jump into the conversation today. So there's two stories that we wanted to talk about. Um, one with the Pith Network. Um, you know, they did an airdrop today, and we'll talk a little bit about what that is, um, as well as kind of what Pith is more broadly, and and maybe the a little bit more about the landscape around um, data oracle data oracles within the blockchain space. Um, and then we'll also speak a little bit about a story that we saw last week around J.P. Morgan um, partnering with a bunch of firms on blockchain interoperability as part of uh, Project Guardian coming out of the month. Monetary Authority of Singapore. And so, you know, again, we'll speak a little bit about kind of the landscape around um, interoperability. So with that, I think let's jump in. Um, Jack, do you mind just kind of providing us a high level overview of what Pith is and what this airdrop was and kind of where we see the space going from here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Like you mentioned, Pith or the Pith Network had a retrospective airdrop for past community members who have either contributed data to the network uh, or utilize portions of their ecosystem. If there are DeFi participants that use an application using Pith, they have the opportunity uh, to receive airdrop tokens. This went to over 90,000 wallets with 255 million tokens being airdropped. And yeah, so we'll talk a little bit about what Pith is. I don't think the the, the token's not important or the token's price not really important to the story that we're discussing today, right? Oftentimes, uh, if a token is airdropped or just starts to become uh, tradable, there's a lot of volatility and noise around the actual price. Uh, but that's not really the important part here. I think the important piece is uh, Pith really pushing forward as an important piece to sort of the market data landscape of on-chain data. Uh, and we, we call these uh, price oracles, and they're really important to DeFi applications. And so 
you know, maybe just to go to the origins of, of Pith and, and data oracles, typically uh, we talk about Chainlink as being the largest and still the, you know, the most dominant uh, oracle, which all that really means is if, you know, if you have DeFi applications, like for instance, lending protocols, they need to know what the price of the underlying collateral is at any given time uh, to know if you know, the the loan is is still safe, right? If the collateral still is you know exceeding the threshold for which a loan might have to be liquidated at a certain price, and so historically, a lot of applications, particularly on Ethereum, have relied on uh, Chainlink's data feeds. And the thing with Chainlink is it typically uses uh, data that's publicly available. Um, so from sites like CoinMarketCap is one of the sort of widely known data sources that they're using. But they're using publicly available data sources, and it tends to be uh, sort of a black box. You don't really know where the data is coming from, and it tends to come at a, a relatively low frequency compared to traditional data feeds uh, of off-chain TradFi data sets, right, where you're getting you know sort of hyper millisecond data uh, with a lot of Chainlink uh, Oracle data feeds. Traditionally, they're only coming in you know, once an hour for certain DeFi applications. Um, and you can see how that could be problematic for an application that's trying to, to scale and offer like institutional grade offerings. They need a, a data feed that's high frequency, that's high quality. Um, and that's what Pith is, is obviously going for here. Um, so they started in 2021 uh, with a group of exchanges and market makers, including Jump Crypto, LMAX, Virtu, uh, and a handful of others. And they're using these trading firms and exchanges um, and other players in the space to aggregate and publish data on chain, uh, of course, to compete with the likes of Chainlink, for instance, and to offer uh, a price feed to you know these various lending protocols, certain DEXs, derivatives platforms, potentially even provide on-chain data for institutions that operate off-chain, right? So typically uh, in TradFi, uh, all of this data is, is done in a black box and aggregated. What if we could bring it on-chain and have people plug into these feeds um, and, and get their data from an on-chain source? We're not there yet at the moment, but there's a clear usage for DeFi applications currently. And so if we just look at sort of the landscape currently, Pith serves as the largest data provider on Solana because it was originally built on Solana. Now Pith 2.0, which was recently launched, is on its own chain. So Pith operates on a Solana-based SVM chain called PithNet that they recently launched. Um, and they're looking to provide data to, I mean, at the moment, over 40 blockchains. Uh, they really have a, a stranglehold on Solana's price oracle market, whereas Chainlink has a stranglehold on Ethereum's uh, price oracle market. And it'll just be interesting to see, you know, kind of the the oracle space become more competitive over time um, with players like Pith entering the market. And and this is just kind of a seminal moment. Obviously, with a token airdrop, there are various incentives for certain people you know, using the network and becoming aware of it now that that didn't exist before. And Jack, one of the things that, that I liked that you were talking about is the fact that there, the data that's being um, aggregated and, and supplied here is really intended to try and make things more efficient. So smart contracts pulling from these oracles in order to be able to execute whatever functions are necessary. But, you know, I was just looking at the Pith Network price feeds website and they're breaking it down between crypto, equity, FX, metal and rates. So, yeah, it can be 
on-chain activities that are referencing uh, traditional assets like equities or, or, or you know, interest rates or even uh, currencies and metals. So pretty interesting set of, of capabilities. One of the things I, I think a lot about is data costs a lot, right? So the, when you're trying to use data, um, one thing I, I think about is will the access to more data help drive down the costs of data for those smart contracts? And I think that's something that time will tell. But I think first you get availability, you have desirability here, uh, you have a, an achievable set of capabilities that, that can power these other contracts. So I wonder you know, how widely it will be adopted. Yeah, and if you think of like traditional markets data, monetizing the data that you do have access to has always been difficult. And if we start to think of these more open source models where these publishers of data are can kind of be directly monetized uh, by offering data to this network, it starts to have interesting implications to the traditional market data model. Of course, that's going to be further down the line if these types of uh, projects are successful. But it is interesting to think about. It, per it also, you know, how I'm kind of looking at it, it provides a vehicle, right, for, to your point, these data providers to basically provide the data directly versus the kind of, kind of current model where you have, you know, established intermediaries, I would say, right? And there's quite few of them in the traditional finance space um, where they're kind of synthesizing and, and basically really have end-to-end -end ownership of of the data and, you know, basically the market that consumes it, right? Yeah, they have ownership of it. They're really big businesses. Yeah. And like, this is one of the things about, I feel like all sort of, not just crypto, but like tech investments over the past you know 20 years, a lot of startups have just grown from going after a, a large kind of opaque market and providing, you know, better accessibility at lower costs, right? I mean, that's that's a lot of, you know, what we've seen in, in the tech industry over the past, you know, decades. And that's kind of the approach that's being taken here. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the other piece that you, you both touched on quickly, but I don't think can be kind of emphasized enough is the, you know, importance of having reliable data feeding, particularly into the applications within DeFi, right? I think there's a lot of examples where bad Oracle feeds into certain dApps has led to liquidations, has led to, you know, significant loss of funds, right? And so having kind of that institutional grade infrastructure feeding these these applications to your point, Jack, I think is going to be critical as we think about institutional adoption of DeFi more broadly. Yeah. The operating speed of a lot of these oracles today is not at the quality that like a traditional institution would expect them to be in order to have you know significant capital at stake. Well, Ryan, you, you you mentioned that the the quality of the data, right? And because you know you want to make sure that the data is high quality because it can be used and executed in some smart contract right away. One of the things I I found interesting about Pith Network is that they've introduced uh, a confidence interval where they're looking at uh, trying to give you a, a plus or minus some fraction of of a unit to tell you that they believe that they're confident within that that range. So, I think that's a a good approach towards trying to address what could be variations depending upon where you source things from yeah. so um and we see that a lot of times in crypto when you look across exchanges the same asset might be priced differently in different exchanges for a variety of reasons so getting to more of a, an aggregated and 
range bound confidence, I think will help uh, users of the, the, the smart contracts uh, if they choose to use data that has that type of model. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other, you know, telling piece here is just the, the asset coverage. Right. I think the fact that they're, you know, including, you know, certain equities, precious metals, you know, that to me feels like a pretty um, substantive shift <laughs> from, you know, what we've seen with other oracles um, and, and just kind of the crypto centric uh, approach to these things. Right. Like to me, OK, why are you why are you wanting to consume, you know, the price of, you know, gold right in a, in a DeFi context well maybe that is you know signifies a shift towards you know tokenization of of or at least tokenized representation of those assets or funds that hold those assets right so i think when we think about blockchain applications DeFi applications and kind of the shift of tradfi to this more decentralized model i think this piece right is a very foundational uh, component that will be able to support some of the use cases that we spend a lot of time talking and thinking about in the space. Yeah, the, the one last thing I would say, because you talked about that asset coverage, I did a quick scan. Looks like they have coverage of 378 assets on PithNet right now. So maybe interesting to see over time uh, whether that coverage ratio um, shifts across asset classes or you know does it expand? Um, is there any type of contraction in the future? So. Uh, the universe of asset coverage will be something to watch. Yep. Yep. All right. I think that's a good segue into the into the next story we wanted to talk about. So we saw um, we saw some coverage last week. Um, you know, a story coming you know out of, around J.P. Morgan working. You know, their Onyx digital assets team working with a number of partners, including Wisdom Tree, Apollo, and several blockchain infrastructure firms on this kind of quote unquote like blockchain interoperability proof of technical proof of concept. Right, and this was all part of, um, as I said earlier, the monetary authority of Singapore's Project Guardian, which is is looking at you know tokenization and blockchain uh, interoperability more broadly. Um, and what they basically did here was kind of develop, like like I said, this technical proof of concept that was really intended to support tokenized financial assets, which could, which could be private equity, credit, real estate, infrastructure, you know, other assets, you know, all the basically all the the, the segments we we frequently talk about when we're talking about tokenization to really automate, you know, the the fund you know, fund operations, um, you know, fund lifecycle management. And I, you know, I think this is interesting, right? Because JP Morgan's obviously a major player as are Wisdom Tree and Apollo. I think what jumped out to me here, and, you know, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this as well, is just the, the, the relative complexity to doing this, right? We talk a lot about the importance um, of interoperability, but then, you know, if you look at the, the topology, right, of this solution, there's, there's really quite a few steps and quite a few pieces of infrastructure here that are actually making it all work. It's, it's not, you know, for, for what is next generation technology, it's not as simple as plugging A into B. Right. And I'll give you an example. And, and I, we were talking a little bit about it before before we jumped on the podcast. But like Apollo's plugging into Oasis Pro, which is uh, plugging into the province blockchain, which is used, which uses um, Acceler to pl uh, plug into the Onyx uh, permissioned network. Right. So there, and then on the other side, you know, um, Wisdom Tree has its own, you know, basically hops that it needs to take in order to get back to Onyx. Um, so I guess the question here is, is you know, what do we think about interoperability more broadly? And, you know, is this, you know, 
technically speaking, how feasible do we think this will be at scale when we think about, you know, multiple asset managers, you know, basically the universe of asset managers starting to move more and more of their activity on, on chain? Yeah, I think you kind of, uh, Ryan was describing, there's this picture uh, that they had shared um, and it involves obviously the three parties of Apollo, Wisdom Tree, and JP Morgan across three different permissioned blockchains, Onyx, which is JPM's permissioned chain, Avalanche has its own permission subnet and the provenance blockchain. And then there's all of these different connection points. It almost seems like too complicated for a permissioned blockchain. I don't really see the benefits of having three separate chains plugged into each other, but maybe I'm missing the forest for the trees, so to speak. But it is, I, I think it brings up one topic uh, that's kind of interesting, which is like, this is one way in which the crypto market could potentially mature a lot of value not necessarily accruing to public blockchain token holders right if if real world assets on chain is embraced by these tradfi entities maybe it's just operational efficiencies that's achieved in one way or another over time for uh, traditional financial institutions that's potentially one way that this market could mature i mean jack i, di I didn't see the all the connections but just going off of the way it was described. I, I think in some ways, TradFi firms are already dealing with, you know, multi-listed assets that can settle in a number of places. They've got multiple communication channels around uh, trade execution, order management, even uh, clearing and settlement at depositories. So one way to think about this might just be thinking about state of data and, and what is the state of a transaction. And across these different record keeping tools that we're calling blockchains or permission distributed ledger technologies, it could be that they're listening to other chains and looking for the state of a transaction and just then automating what would be uh, the communication protocol to minimize the amount of reconciliation. I mean, it, it may be much more complicated than that, but when I when I think about a lot of the, the I'll call them enterprise distributed ledger technology use cases we've looked at in the past, many of them have been focused on data timeliness, data completion, and data accuracy. And if you're not timely, complete, or accurate, then you spend a lot of energy looking at reconciliation and trying to determine why there's a difference amongst records. And it may be that the value here is um, preventing the difference in timing or, or recording of a transaction across these different chains because there's some communication that that's taking place to manage the state. Yeah. No, and I think those are those are both great points, you know, but to me again what what is striking and, and you know I think what is, you know, a known limitation of these permission systems is they they basically are walled gardens, right? To a certain extent, um, whether you're on, you know, Hyperledger impl implementation of Hyperledger or Corda or Onyx, right? Like they're 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 not necessarily built to plug in with one another, right? And I think you know maybe there this is to your point jack maybe this is a growing we'll continue to see this part of the industry growing right like these these infrastructure the bridges right that kind of are meant to jason to your point you know create uh, at least some level of coordination over the top but i would i would press right that if you're going to do that and you're going to run these systems in parallel I personally, and this is my opinion, think that the whole idea of, you know, reducing costs of operation, you know, creating operational efficiencies and streamlining things starts to 
get diminished the more that you silo these systems, right? Because it starts to feel more representative of what we have now. Um, and I, I feel like every time I'm at a crypto conference and there's like, you know, uh, there's a, a panel on, you know, enterprises and blockchain and all of that, like there's always the contrarian on the panel that says, you know, we, I, it feels like we're just building the same system over and over again. And actually it could be less efficient. Right. Um, and, and I can't help but wonder, and I'm not necessarily saying that's what hap what's happening here, but like, as we, as we move forward, like, I think the risk of that is, is fairly high and, you know, like. I, th I think it's it's just something that we, as an industry, probably need to be mindful of. Yeah, and Ryan, as you say that, you, know, you and I have talked about this for a number of years, and Jack, you've probably heard me say this before too, but like, I try to think about what are the attributes needed for success? And if you'd apply that here, you know, typically what you think about is a minimum viable committed ecosystem. It sounds like they have that. The next thing I talk about is the need for common, and if not common, at least interoperable technology. It seems here that they've found some way to uh, make things communicate, if not interoperate. Mm. But then you get further down the lines, like, do you have standards that you're applying? You know, so maybe they're using standards to affect that communication. Uh, there's clearly governance, which is another key feature here, because the governance is being uh, enabled through the structure or the sandbox environment of the, the Monetary Authority of Singapore. And, and lastly, there's an economic incentive. And for them, I, I, each of these participants, they want to be able to achieve operational efficiency and lower transaction costs. Uh, maybe they want to increase throughput of transactions or extend the the hours in which uh, their clients can transact. But it seems to me like they're checking those boxes around attributes for success, but it really matters when you get underneath the, the surface to find out just how are they achieving that interoperability or that governance uh, mate? Because you know, can they extend that to a, a wider audience? It's a big question. And if, I mean, I have a hard time grappling with, if the benefits are so massive, wouldn't there be a larger incentive for people to be moving quicker on some of this stuff? Like maybe the benefits are a little bit overstated. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a good question. It's a good question, but I think there's a behavioral element there too, right? Like where I think there's, a, there's limitations, particularly in the US, right? Because I think Jason made a really good point. Like, this was obviously done within the confines of the um within the singapore monetary authority sandbox that they've created for this project but there are like real you know regulatory questions i guess um around doing this and kind of what the implications for the financial system would be in the us as an example and in other parts of the world right so i think i think firms have moved slowly a because this is an industry and i tr talk about traditional finance that i think historically moves a little slow when we talk about you know processes um and, and process improvement and jason i know you, you that's your former you know your former role you could probably speak to it better but it, you know they don't necessarily do uh, you know upend things overnight uh, by design right and and but but i guess that kind of highlights another important point right and jason i think you kind of touched on it but to put a more fine point on it there's a technical piece here like a technical challenge right which looks like it's inching closer to being solved which is great but there's also like just the general you know market behaviors and market incentives and as we've talked about in the context of of permissioned systems that tends to be a much harder sell, right? In terms of getting consensus, no pun intended, on you know how you're going to how you're going to architect these systems and getting everyone on the same system so that you're not having that um, you know duplicity in your your processing and your procedures. Yeah, that, that level of commitment is sometimes variable when you're dealing with multiple uh, institutions. But 
One other thing I would, I'll just go back to you, Ryan, you were sort of highlighting this. I'll call it up. The, the question may be related to what are the property rights? You know, it's particularly when you have uh, a, a real world asset being represented as a token and those property rights may differ across uh, geographies. So you can have the technology that supports it. You can have the contracting, which will reference a particular jurisdiction. Uh, so you, you believe things are, are going to be pretty clearly understood. But at the same point, when you're in a permission network, does the operator of that network ultimately have the determination over the, the, the property right of a token in that? I think they'll have control, but they'll have to go back to the legal contracting. So the way that business is done may need to be revisited, not just uh, from a technology standpoint, but also possibly from um, a, an agreement standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I again, I you know, I think we've, you know, we've taken a, a balanced look at this, right? Um, but it is a win, right? I think it's it's good that people are focused on this problem because we know that this is going to be a bigger and bigger issue as we think about adoption, you know, of distributed systems across finance and other industries. So, you know, I think, you know, hats off to them for for making this work. Um, but I, I definitely think, you know, as, as we've kind of highlighted in this discussion, um, there's some bigger questions here that likely still need to be answered and problems that need to be solved for before we actually start to see, you know, the our shares of Apple and our fixed income instruments moving across blockchain rails as we as they trade throughout the, the financial system. You, you put it well. I mean, it, it's it's going to take many different entities across the globe trying to advance the adoption of this type of technology. So it's certainly a positive. Yep. All right, guys, this was a, this was a great discussion uh, today. So thanks. Really appreciate it. We will be um, taking the end of this week and next week off um, a very happy Thanksgiving um, to those in the U S who celebrate. Um, and we will see you again in a couple of weeks. Crypto as an asset class is highly volatile, can become illiquid at any time, and is for investors with a high risk tolerance. Crypto may also be more susceptible to market manipulation than securities. Crypto is not insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation or the Securities Investor Protection Corporation. Investors in crypto do not benefit from the same regulatory protections applicable to registered securities. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast was produced by the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology also known as FCAT. FCAT does not offer digital assets nor provide clearing or custody of such assets. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide tax, legal, insurance, or investment advice and should not be construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation for any security or other asset by any fidelity entity or third party. Views expressed are as of the date indicated based on the information available at the time and may change based on market or other conditions. Unless otherwise noted, the opinions provided are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Fidelity does not assume any duty to update any of the information. Fidelity and any other third parties mentioned in the podcast are independent entities and are not affiliated. Mentioning them does not suggest a recommendation or endorsement by Fidelity. This information is not intended for distribution to or use by any person or entity in any jurisdiction or country where such distribution would or use would be contrary to local law or regulation. Persons accessing this information are required to inform themselves about and observe such restrictions. Third-party trademarks appearing herein are the property of their respective owners. All others are the property of FMR LLC. Copyright 2023 FMR LLC. All rights reserved. 1040156.